0: We all know hard work and perseverance pays off, but would you be willing to drive from the Bay Area to the Ribbon Ridge AVA in Oregon every other weekend to pursue your dream? Well, Dan from Utopia Wines did just that for multiple years to make his dream of becoming a winemaker a reality. Please enjoy my conversation, and thank you for watching. Dan, thank you so much for being here today. Not being here today. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, AJ. It a pleasure.
0: Yeah, I, you know, it was interesting. You know, I, walked, uh, I woke up this morning, and there was like a little bit of snow on the ground, and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not sure uh, what it's going to be like up here on Ribbon Ridge this morning.
1: Yeah, we were getting a light dusting earlier, and I thought it might turn into something more, but right. so far it really hasn't. We've got hit with some really cool temperatures this week, after we had that beautiful weather, oh, man. for like two weeks almost, we had a uh, like a February thaw, yeah, it was there, nice. and it was great, but uh, I'm actually really glad that we're getting some hard freeze this week, because it's really good for the vines. Yeah, make them stress out a little bit. Yeah, keep them dormant. Yes, yes, yes. All right,
0: shall I pour us a little bit of wine? That'd be great. Okay, great. I remember last year when I came up here, you were just coming out of the, out of the vineyard, you know, you're walking up, and uh, you're doing some work out there, and so how you know, how are things looking this year? I'm, you know, pruning, I assume, is all done and everything?
1: We're, we're done. We finished last week. We got everything tied down, and uh, we've even flailed our brush, and right. uh, now we're kind of just waiting for a little bit of moisture because it's been a little bit dry the last couple of weeks, so um, the next little rain that we get, we'll get out our mechanical weeder and get to work on the weeds under the vine. The timing has to be just right for the in terms of the soil moisture for it to work really well. Right. And so we'll get that started. But I mean essentially we're ready to go. We're we're kinda of waiting on bud break right now.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Well cheers. Feels good. Yeah. yeah. Spring. I always love spring. Yes. So again, you know, feel free to comment on it if you want to. There's zero pressure. It's, it's all completely up to you.
1: This wine, um, it, it's not a young wine. I mean, I think it has a few years on it at least. Right. Maybe maybe five years, I would guess. Okay. Uh, maybe six, five or six years in the bottle. Um, it's, um, it's got a, a slight amount of breadth. But it's not overpowering on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be fairly integrated with the wine. It's you know can be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun to bring a, a little blind bottle to just explore and. Um, you know just I I find find it to be fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. It's got a nice nice uh you know, um uh, silkiness to the texture. I like the mouthfeel a lot. Right. It's um it's uh you know, it carries through the mid-palate. And it's very silky. I like that. I'm I'm really big on texture. Yeah, it's yeah.
0: yeah, to me what gets me about this is there's there's that kind of funky, florist floor, you know, sensation to it and I'm like, "Ooh, what kind of yeah, yeah, spicy. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. It's definitely spicy. And some of that's Brett and some of it's probably the variety as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So diving back into like your your past and your history, you know, you you really weren't that much into wine to kind of start with. And you know, you kinda of got into, you know, um, some Burgundian wines and you converted your laundry room into a wine cellar and then you started collecting and then you opened up a wine shop in, in Napa. And while you were, you know, had that wine shop in Napa, it sounded like that you were doing some tastings with a uh, Ron Wiegand, uh-huh. uh, world's first master sommelier in 86. Yeah. What was that like, and what did you learn from him?
1: Well, I learned quite a bit. And, and by the way, I'm impressed. You know a little bit about the history, so you can know, you see your homework <laughs> there. I um, try. Yeah, so I, I actually started as a collector in my 20s, and... Um, after a few years, I, I had a pretty big cellar, uh, and I decided to get licensed and uh, and start a uh, wine business in Napa. I was essentially uh, an import-export business there, and right. through that um, business, um, the affiliations with the up-and-coming winemakers and the other, some of the other... Folks and Napa like Ron and Peter Marks, you know, to be a name dropper. Um, <laughs> I, I was able to hone my palate, so I, I learned a lot about, you know, how to evaluate wines and, you know, what um, the experts considered. You know, the the differences between a good wine and a great wine, and how to really focus on that and understand the template that they're using in their mind when they're evaluating wines and. I, there was a point where I was tasting two to three hundred wines a week there for, you know, 10 years. So wow. um, you, you get you get pretty good at it, you know. And, right. Uh, I have um, a number of, you know, stacks of comp books of tasting notes that I collected over the year that I wrote. So um, you, when you're writing it down, you, you you know, you develop a vocabulary for it and you really get a deeper understanding of it, and then you develop that template in your mind so when you're tasting a wine, you almost get like a 3D image of the wine in your mind, and and it really helps you to understand the wine and even the winemaking process and, uh, you know, the characteristics of the varieties and and helps you eliminate, you know, what it isn't and you know, like a blind tasting like today (laughs) and coming around to what it actually is.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. So tasting about 70... uh, 70 wines a day, right? If you're look at like at two or 300 a week, yeah. how, I, I, when I, I did, I was uh, a wine judge for the McMinnville wine uh, competition yeah, in yeah. 2020 right. and my palate, I mean, was just, it was yeah.
1: gone, yeah, you know, after a
0: hundred and I'm like, I don't, can't imagine doing that every day.
1: When people hear that, you know, they think, wow, you're, you're so lucky. You know, to, <laughs> no, and it, they don't understand that it's really work. You know, it is, and that you're spitting all of that wine. I mean, otherwise you'd be unconscious after ten or fifteen of them. You know, of course, um, even a small taste. So, um, you know, the way that I learned to do it was to rest. You know, in between, drink water, eat a little bread, make sure that you're spitting, right. but to take even a minute's rest in between the wines. You know, let your palate recover. But yeah, I mean, the tannins build up on your palate. It becomes, it becomes more and more difficult. But with practice, you know, if I'm tasting... Let's say I tasted, you know, 100 wines right. that day, right? Um, then 10 of them are going to stand out to me typically. Um, and those are the right. ones that I'm going to want to get a whole, you know, purchase... Of course. ...and use in my business, you know? Right. So you're kind of... Some of them you can eliminate pretty quickly, you know, if they're just not what you want... Um, then, then you can move on fairly quickly.
0: Yeah, no, and and that's a totally different perspective than trying to judge the wine and be like, oh, what the, is it? Right. right, because you're like, eh, not good, eh, yeah. not good. Uh, oh, that one's good. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. That mean, because I remember even like the next day after judging, I was like, no, I, I, I don't, I like tasting anything was just awful. I mean, yeah. just, just normal food. And I'm like, no, I, I, I want this to go away. And it just wasn't, it wasn't going away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's real work. You know, even in the winery, you know, when tasting the barrels and stuff, right. trying to figure out the lots, which I usually start around June, wines are completely finished. They've had time in the barrel. Um, they're, they're pretty close to what they're going to be. I mean, I'm at, they're at a stage where, where I can tell, you know, what they're going to be in the bottle pretty much. And I'll start tasting the barrels to determine the final blends. I mean, I'll taste each barrel a half a dozen times, you know, over, over the period of the summer to, and to get ready for a fall bottling. And, um, you know, that's, you know, taste 30, 40 barrels each time and, you know, two or three days in a row to get making my notes and everything. So, um, that can be that, that you know, people really think that's fun, but it's (laughs) not really, you know, Uh, no, it's real work. It it really is. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, it, it's hard to... I mean, it's not not fun,
1: but but, it's, but it, it, it is work. It is serious work. And um, right. I would much rather, you know, just take a nice bottle and go to lunch than to sit there and taste 30 or 40 or more barrels right. to try to determine my final blends. That is very stressful.
0: It, it is. There's, yeah. And when you take the bottle to lunch, it's like, oh, no yeah, pressure, no. no stress. Thank <laughs> That's you. That's what wine's all about. Right. Know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, in looking back again over your history, there looked like there was, um, that you had a label called LaCourse?
1: LaCourse was La my course. partner's label. Oh, okay. In, in Napa. Okay.
0: Uh-huh. I, thought, I thought it was yours, so I couldn't find hardly anything about it. So I'm yeah. like, I need more information.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my partner, um, Bruce Scotland, Okay. Uh, um, in my import-export wine business there. And one of the original, was going to be one of the original founders of Utopia. Um, but he went off and did a brand called Highlands, and he's still there in Napa now. It's Howell Mountain Fruit. Right. His good friend Mike Beatty, who owns Beatty Ranch Vineyard on Howell Mountain, or did at least, um, as far as I know, still does. Right. Um, and uh, and so he's making Cats some really nice Cab and uh, Zinfandel wines from there. Very nice. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, thank you. I was just that always had been kind of nugging at me or tugging at me. I yeah. was just like I. I can't find any information it was just it was difficult so thank you you're You're in Napa and then you ended up here in Oregon why why did you come up to Oregon
1: Um, because I wanted to own the land and make world-class Pinot Noir and Chardonnay okay so being in Napa you know prime vineyard land in Napa um, unless you're a corporate entity or if you were born in the lucky gene pool or, or somehow got very wealthy. Um, that's, you know, it's not going to happen. So, okay. um, yeah, it was mainly because I knew number one that I couldn't afford to land in Napa. Number two, this was going to become the next Napa. And, uh, it was really a once in a lifetime opportunity, maybe once in many lifetimes opportunity to get in on the ground floor of the next thing in the wine world in North America. Right. And it was like, well, whatever I have to do to make that a reality, let's, let's do it. You know, and I spent two years searching for the ideal spot, which led me to this place when I came to look at the farm below, which was for sale, which is, was not a vineyard at the time back in 2000. And, um, when I got there, I was like, well, this is okay, but that's the spot right there up the hill. And it was a horse property and I haven't cut down a single tree here. It was completely cleared. It's all south facing. It's 500 feet. Right. down to about 480, so very gently sloped. I mean, it's ideal pretty much in every way. Right. There was a small ranch house there, so I drove up and knocked on the door, and the owner was home, and he ended up selling it to me uh, on the spot.
0: It, yeah, and if I remember correctly, you uh, had a conversation with your wife saying, I'm only going to go look, yeah. and I'm not going to buy, yeah. but you ended up buying. Right. What was that conversation like when you got home?
1: Well, that was a <laughs> You know, um, first of all, I mean, I think most people that do something like that, where you're going to pretty much uproot your whole family, the life they've known their entire lives, take them away from their schools and their friends, and you know your wife and her friends and all of that to pursue your dream, right? Right? Um, would probably say the same thing, you know, as as what happened to me, which was nobody really thought it was a good idea. Okay. And my family, they were like, you did what you, you, <laughs> you want do what? And I said, well, don't worry. It's just bare land right now. And right. it's going to take years to develop it. But eventually I want you to understand that I'm going to want to move there. And we're right. gonna, And that's what, you know, is going to become my full-time career and you guys are going to love it. Trust me. Right. right. And it was seven years before we finished building our new home here. Right and moving here, and it still wasn't enough time for them to adjust it. Well,
0: yeah, no, I was was going to iterate that it wasn't an immediate thing because you bought it, and then like two years later, you planted vines, and then a couple years after that was your first harvest, and then you like to be precise. Yeah, and then you finally you know made the trek up here, so it was
1: right. I mean, the year that, um, and I was still working my day job in tech all that time while I was developing this, and I still had my import-export business in Napa. So I, I kept all of that until 2005, right. and then did my second planting here in 05, and then did my final planting in the spring of 10, which i that meant that in the fall of 2012, all of the vines were planted for this site, and they were all producing. In that September, I left my day job and started becoming a full-time winemaker at that time.
0: Wow. That's, and I was going to ask, like, what, what were those transition years like? I mean, I'm sure that you're, you know, you're working your tech job you know, during the day and then like, probably getting on a plane Friday afternoon to come up here on the weekends. I mean, is that how it was? I or? was
1: actually driving up here every other, every other week. I'd come every other week and, right. I'd, and I'd drive you know, Friday, get here late Friday night, uh, work Saturday and most of the day Sunday and then drive back. Um, Sunday night I do that every other week I did that for like five years
0: congratulations I mean that's that's a dedication all within itself right there well if you
1: want to you know do something you got to work for it you know I mean unless like I said unless you're born wealthy or something (laughs) you know I mean and uh, you know for me it it was you know it's a big sacrifice it's a lot of work and and, you know you question yourself (laughs) what you're doing you know and why (laughs) But I always believed in it, you know, and I always believed that, that I could do it and wanted to do it and was passionate about it. And that's what kept me going. I, you know, I had a vision. Right.
0: No, you would have to definitely have to have something to keep you going. Otherwise, you're just going to fall asleep at the wheel during your, during your drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, congratulations. Thanks. Yes. Uh, the Ribbon Ridge Wine Growers Association. So you're, you're the president, are you still the president? I am. And I know that you were talking about uh, being herbicide free and trying to move everybody toward yeah. uh, biodynamic farming. Mm-hmm. How is that going?
1: So just a, a little point of clarification, not totally herbicide free, but uh, chemical herbicide free. Okay,
0: okay, sorry.
1: And uh, um, so organic or biodynamic. Okay. Um, are the, are the terms, right? So right. it's probably half the vineyards in Oregon, I'm just guessing now, you know, um, are still farmed conventionally, right? Um, right? So they're using glyphosates and they're using systemic, uh, you know, chemicals. Um, and there's, you know, there's good reason for that. You know, you get higher yields and you have less labor costs and and all those things. Some people think farming organic is less expensive, but really it's it's more expensive if you're a small vineyard, because. You're doing a lot more stuff by hand, and you're also, um, so you're paying the labor costs, which have continued to rise every year. Um, you have to deal with that, and then the products aren't as long lasting. Organic products are not as long lasting um, in the vineyard as, um, as the synthetic products, right? And so, you have to do things more often, um, so in, in and they're expensive, so in the long run. It's more costly to do it that way, but it absolutely makes a better product. We don't do uh, much intervention in the winery. I mean we're literally none most of the time right. um, other than adding small amounts of sulfites to keep the wine you know bacteria free. Um, but other than that we're not really we're just using the grapes and so you know farming to perfection by hand is what we do every year in order to get the best fruit. That has, you know, the right characteristics in terms of its, you know, makeup so that we can make good wine without a lot of intervention. And that's why estate wines are almost always the most valuable.
0: Of course, of course. So are you given any thought of trying to convert to biodynamics here on CST so, um,
1: Yeah, I mean, I think about stuff like that all the time. Right. Um, we're, I mean, they're very similar in a lot of respects, organic to biodynamic. Um, biodynamic is an ancient method of farming that goes by, by the phases of the moon. Right. Um, and it, um, has, you know, some weird incantations that you do in the vineyard and it, um, uses, you know, like, like, um, cow shit or sheep. Right. There's, yeah, there's a bunch of recipes that you you can stuff your cow horns and bury them in the spring. So, um, we don't do that. Um, so I probably won't do that, but, um, But we do, if, if there's any, you know, we test our, our plant tissues every year and we test our soils every third year at a minimum. Right. And so if we see any nutrient deficiency or anything like that, um, you can, I can get, you know, I can go to Recology locally in McMinnville and I can buy, um, you know, composted, um, for, you know, organic compost for spreading in the vineyard or whatever. We really manage it pretty well with our cover crop. Um, that's, you know, that's really pretty much all we need. And occasionally, you know, every few years we, we lime the soil, um, to keep the pH where it should be, which helps the, the vine uptake the nutrients better. And if we see any like, like potassium is in nitrogen or the big ones, and if there's any deficiency in, in, in either of those, then we can, uh, you know, we can make a, an application of that. Um, I really don't need to do it very often. Well, that's great. If at all. Well,
0: you know? I mean, you've been farming here for like 20 years now. 20 so, years, I mean, yeah. that's...
1: Exactly, 20 years this year. When
0: you think about it, 20 years, it's like, yeah. where did that time
1: go? It's a couple decades, man.
0: I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's hard to... Even for me, I've been here in Oregon for the last, you know, now going on 21 years. And I'm like,
1: what? Yeah. It
0: doesn't seem possible. right. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's a labor of love for sure. You know, every year, I mean, we we get to January 1st and we're starting all over and you have just a little bit of downtime. And then, like, you know, before we know it, it's going to be bud break again. We've been pruning since I mean, I started on January 4th. And we just finished last week with everything. Right. So, um, you know, it's not like we're not busy during the during the winter months either. We're doing all that. Plus, I've got 140 barrels right now in the winery that I'm taking care of. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they're
0: they're your, they're your little babies. you got to, you know, tend to them and make sure yeah. they're all good.
1: And I'm bottling three wines next month. So I've got a, my spring bottling coming up. And those wines have to get finished off. And, Fine. you know, get all their final adjustments and get them filtered and get them into the bottle that's, that's a, always an exciting time it know? is but it's nerve-wracking for the winemaker
0: well and on top of it right I mean you have spring and then you're gonna have summer coming up and then like your Farming's property take off there that's gonna take off but like your property up here is just it's gorgeous up here for a tasting
1: Yeah thanks I mean um, we really want people to just come and have a relaxed comfortable atmosphere you know and they can be interested in wine or they can just relax or whatever but you know i'm usually here um especially on the weekends to talk to the people if they want to learn about viticultural or winemaking you know i give private tours and we do private tastings and otherwise you can just come and hang out on the patio or the deck or or the picnic area and you know have a glass or a bottle enjoy a picnic and uh like some bocce ball or some cornhole and and just hang out, you know? I mean, it just is, it's really just to make it comfortable and relaxed, you know, for people. And, and hope they feel safe.
0: Right. And I, hopefully this year I'm um, you know I, I know in years past that you've had like OMSI out here to do like a mm-hmm. are you going to be able to do that again this yeah, year yeah we
1: were even able to do it during uh, during uh, 2020 nice when we had all the shutdowns and stuff we just modified the approach but yeah we're, it's going to be actually July 30th we've already got the date set, weather permitting right um, and then Portland Opera will be here on August 27th again um, and we did a Shakespeare play in the vineyard last year I would like to do that again unfortunately with COVID um, some of the companies have have not been able to hold together um, with all the you know with all the challenges. Um, but uh, hopefully, if we start to come out of things this year, which we all hope we are, I, I just heard this morning that um, Oregon is lifting its indoor oh. mask mandate on March 19th. Oh, nice! And so that you know, hopefully that holds up. Hopefully some. Um, new variant doesn't come along and, (laughs) you know, mess us up again. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I I think, you know, we have the tools, you know, we're better managing it. They're learning more about the virus all the time. So, um, I think, I think we're hopefully get back to some sense of normalcy this year. I'm really looking forward to having a a more normal summer and, and really just, you know, getting back to life and in the vineyard and everything without all the, all the, you know, uh, down, all the, you know, all the negative news and everything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're you're definitely, you're not alone. Right. Right. I mean, everybody kind of wants that.
1: Yeah. I mean, when the vaccines came out in 21 and everyone started getting vaccinated, you know, all the adults, at least you, we really saw a surge in the tasting room visits. I can imagine people really were coming up (laughs) and everyone, you know, everyone had that same sense of kind of, Oh, thank God! You know we're we're able to travel and we're able to go out and right. you know experience life again. You know, so you really you really can sense that that's happening again right now.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Speaking of kind of negative news, the the 2020 wildfires. Yeah. When when we talked last, it looked like it sounded like you'd done a bunch of research and that you had fi- found you know. A method and our protocol that was appropriate to you know look at smoke taint and everything was looking really really good when we talked last time
1: yeah so um, for for my fruit here AJ we didn't have any ill effects from the smoke and that was primarily because we didn't get any young smoke near the vineyard the only thing we had was the haze that drifted in you know seven to ten days later after the fires that were more south and east of here right and i mean that led to poor air quality and everything but it really didn't affect the vines there was no ash associated with that right um and so i did have a client who was out near the santian fire which was a big one and his fruit was damaged and it was rejected by a mm. larger winery that we had it sold to right for smoke taint specifically and um i had it brought up to my winery and i made a it was Pinot Gris. So it's a white wine. And um, with white wines, you know, you don't um, ferment them on the skins. And that's where the, the volatile um, compounds are going to be in the skins mainly. And so if you if you're not fermenting on the skins, and if you don't press real hard, um, you shouldn't get too much of that, right? right These right. were really covered in ash. And Ooh. I did, there's a, a thing called a bucket test. So when the fruit came in, I just took some of the clusters and threw them in a bucket of water, and the the water immediately turned ashen gray, oh. so you could just see it. So we decided to put it through the line and rinse it all off and resort it into slotted bins. And then I rented some big fans and we put them in the coolest spot in the winery and we dried them off for thirty six hours. And then we very gently pressed it. And then I treated the the uh, must with uh, what's called the Lafort protocol. Lafort is a French company and laboratory okay that has developed protocols for handling smoke taint there's a bunch of them you know and they have a usa division okay and um there are a bunch of different labs that have been dealing with that for you know for the californians and the australians and stuff since about 2006 so you know there was quite a bit of research and work that's been done on it And since I'm a winemaker, I wanted to treat the must because that's when we make adjustments prior to fermentation, if at all possible, as opposed to trying to filter it later, which, um, you know, based on what I had read, at least up to that point had, um, you know, mixed results uh, to where maybe some of those compounds could reappear in the wines later. So, um, so I was more of a fan of, of trying to develop a protocol for treating the must. And so that's what I did. I borrowed from several different protocols and then added um, a step in the beginning and a step at the end of right. my own to try and really, you know, cinch it for me. And um, we did that. And the wine, the wine seems to be fine. That's it's a great. Nice little Pinot Gris. And, you know, I learned something along the way. And now I've got a protocol for dealing with smoke taint. And then there's, you know, there's new products and new research every year. So it's not like you ever have it all figured out, oh, especially no. with the little teeny tiny bit of experience that any of us have with smoke taint right now um right. we still have a lot to learn and stuff but i'm glad i had that experience and i'm glad i got to practice on somebody else's fruit <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was a good right, experience right, right. it was a lot of work i mm-hmm. wouldn't want to do it believe me um right. because it's 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 um you're, i mean it was a lot of labor to to do it it took a lot of effort um and uh and I'm thankful that, that we could do it and we got the results, but I definitely wouldn't want to have to do it again. Well, hopefully we don't have to. Yeah. yeah. I have a feeling it's probably not the last time, but hopefully, yeah. uh, you know, according to, to our climatologist uh, from Linfield, well, formerly from Linfield, Greg Jones, um, we, uh, that was a thousand year, you know, set of circumstances that, that caused, um, a lot of that, you know, interesting. Uh, smoke and everything to to arrive here because of the way the winds were and stuff. Well,
0: we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure when 2021 came around, there was no fires and you were able to bring in all this fruit that had to be like a, Oh, thank you.
1: Well, you know, with the drought and everything, we were on pins and needles, you know, we were just waiting for the smoke to show up, you know, and fortunately it did not. Right. And, um, even though we had some rain in the middle of flowering, um, we still got a pretty good fruit set, and we got a decent crop, especially with our Pinot clones. And Chardonnay was still low, but but we we brought in. I was happier than I expected to be That's with great. the yield. So that was a really really nice um, bounce back from 2020, where the yields were way down, and then we had to deal with COVID and the fires and everything else. You know, right. it was like the the, the four horsemen <laughs> <laughs> you know, the apocalypse. Right. No, it, yeah.
0: it, it's nice to have. Uh, <clears throat> Um, a nice little sh- shiny rainbow at the end of the tunnel. It was like, oh, finally. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So we're you know we're we're always cautiously mm. optimistic when we're going into a growing season. And, of course. You know, really critical times are going to be during flowering. Um, you know, in the second half of June and then uh, into early July, depending on the weather, and then uh, and then in the fall. You know, seeing when the rains come or don't come, and you know if we have enough moisture, uh, uh, you know, to keep the vines going and and get some additional hang time. You know, those are, those are the things that are really critical. You can go all year and everything can be fine. The last two weeks, mother nature, (laughs) you know, right. Like 2013 with the torrential downboards, right? Yeah. But we accept that.
0: Yeah. But still it's, it's you're, you're at the, the mercy.
1: Yeah. I like, I mean, I don't, I shouldn't say it that way. I mean, I, I, I like the challenge of the, of the more difficult years. And I think it focuses me more and I end up making some of my best wines in those years that are, that are really standouts, you know, in those difficult, um, vintages. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess if I had my wish come true, I, I'd wish for an ideal growing season every year.
0: (laughs) Of course, but that may not be as much fun then.
1: Yeah. I mean, it would be less interesting for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember talking to a a winemaker that used to be in you know in California, and he's like, "Yeah, we know what the weather's going to do. It's just kind of boring." And I'm like, "He's like, that's why I like Oregon. It's never boring." Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you get knocked out of the box pretty easy here, you know. Yeah. Um, With our cooler climate and the, the you know if you get early rains, you know, or whatever, you can you know or late frost or whatever, which doesn't really. Happened too much in the Lava Valley. I don't think it's ever happened, especially at 500 feet above elevation. We're a little bit insulated from that. But you never know because of the global weirding as far as the weather that's going on. We're getting some really weird stuff. You know, we had 60s in February, which, you know, (laughs) definitely don't expect to see that. No. And now we're down in the 20s for the lows, you know, low 20s, even the teens.
0: Right. No, it was. Yeah. No, it's been an interesting month.
1: Yeah. So that's a pretty wild ride. It is. Yeah,
0: you you'd kind of touched on you know the winery and whatnot. So that was that's like a new addition within the last couple of years, and you have some more acreage. And what yeah. what are your plans there?
1: Yeah, so it's really exciting. So we have another uh, property that's um, up on Ribbon Ridge, but on the other side of the road from from our current site. Um, and I've, it was forest. It was uh, agricultural forest land. And in 2019, I cleared 15 acres. And we've been prepping the ground and getting it all ready for planting. And um, we're going to plant this fall. I've already selected the clones and the rootstock. And we've already, you know, got the contract in place. And so we know we're going to get those vines in the fall. And uh, so it's pretty exciting. I'm going to do, you know, more Pinot and Chardonnay and some Gamay Noir up there. And I've got two Champagne Uh, clones, a Chardonnay and a Pinot Noir clone, um, as well, um, for a future sparkling project that I want to do. I'm excited about that. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be really fun. And, uh, and so, yeah, we're expanding, we're going to almost double our vineyard capacity and we'll be, you know, uh, 25 plus acres of planted vines, um, close to maybe 32 acres or something like that when it's all, when it's all in. Right, which is you know one of the bigger vineyards on the River Ranch. I know. Congr- um, once yeah. it starts producing, um, so we expect to get our first fruit from that site in the fall of 2025. And you know the winery is already up and it's been running. I, I've been making wine there since the fall of 2019. And so um, it's it's just awesome. I mean, it's really be, <laughs> it's so nice to have your own space. And right. you know I've got a couple of small wineries that are making their wine there, and then I've got. A couple custom crush clients that I'm making the wines for, in addition to my stuff. So, you know, uh, plenty to do, and uh, you know, I, I uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to expand beyond that in right. the future, and eventually, you know, in the three to five year plan, build a new tasting room up there so we can get everything in one spot up there, and then make this kind of the vineyard and uh, get the tasting room out of my backyard <laughs> and uh, have some privacy. Yeah, have a little more privacy and be able to still, you know, use the property for weddings or you know, special events or club events or whatever we may want to do, um, right. but have the main focus for the public up there.
0: That would be nice. Yeah. I, I have to dive a little bit into the sparkling because I'm just a big sparkling guy. Yeah. Um, are you going to go method uh, tra- yeah, traditional? Yeah, you going
1: to full bore if we're going to do it. We're right. going to do it right.
0: Okay. So yeah. like a, a Blanc de Blanc and maybe like a Blanc de Noir? Or are you yep. going to do a blend? or? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah? I okay. Mean the,
1: the fruit and the you know the growing seasons will dictate a little bit of what we do, especially in the beginning. But yeah, definitely blanc de blanc and blanc de Noir. Um, that's definitely on the drawing board.
0: Oh, that's so much fun. Really excited about. Yeah, it. yeah, no, it's it's amazing to see all the sparkling programs just popping up all over the place. Yeah, and it's it's. Uh, I wasn't a judge for this year's Mac uh, Wine Competition. But I was a volunteer, and I got to like listen in, and like. So the final two wines was a Pinot Gris and a sparkling, Uh right? And I'm not a judge, so I can't like say anything, right? But you know, um, it was asked. You know, you know there was asked like, well, you know, what do y'all think? And the room was silent, and I'm like, the sparkling's (laughs) got to win. Come on! (laughs) Oh, then I got hushed. I'm like, fine. Oh, but the Pinot Gris ended up winning out. Uh-uh. Oh, but it, it's so fun and fascinating. Yeah, is it? Uh, so you're sparking? Are you kind of thinking like a members only kind of offering? Or are you kind of like going to expand it out more for it to be a little bit bigger?
1: I mean, we we pretty much sell to our members anyway, so right. you know um, there'll be enough eventually to to you know put it on the website and stuff, so other people have access to it. Right. In the beginning, when it's really small, you know, I'm sure that. It's gonna, you know, it's one of those things where it's just gonna be really popular right off the bat. Of course, and uh, it will, it will go, it, it be pretty much allocated, you know, in the beginning. Right. But eventually, you know, yeah, we'll we'll do more, and you know, I can always uh, if it gets really popular, I can I can buy fruit from you know other growers and uh, make make more of it. Uh, right. But we're pretty much in a state winery, and, you know. We're I'm not trying to get big. You know what I mean, right? I right, just right. want to stay small and keep the, you know, the the whole ambiance of what we have, you know, and the mystique of just a small, you know. I I consider myself a vigneron, you know. I'm someone who makes wine from grapes that I grow myself, right. and so um, that's always been my passion. It's always been my vision for utopia. That is my utopia, right. and so um, I don't really see it. Changing that much, you know, when we go from three thousand to say five thousand cases a year, we still manage that well, you know, with with our small staff and group, our family, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think we'll 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 continue to keep our same model as we go forward. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't imagine you changing a whole bunch. I mean,
0: it's uh, there's something. The word boutique comes to mind, right? But it's it's much more personable here, right? And it's it's really nice.
1: Yeah. It's like I said earlier, you know, we don't sell wine as a beverage. We we sell it as an experience, you know, and people want to come to wine country. They want a wine country experience. You know, I mean, that's what I want when I go to wine country. Of course. You know, it's what we all want. And so that's what we strive to give people, you know, come and... See the vines, you know, where the grapes are grown for the wines that you're going to taste. Meet the winemaker and the vineyard manager. And, right. you know, if you want, you can go as deep as you want. Or you can just, you know, enjoy yourself, relax, play some bocce ball on a cornhole or have a night, bring a picnic along. And um, just, just have a great day out, out in the vineyards. Yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. I, I, to me, that's really, you know, the most I can offer people. So, I'm going to say the
0: word legacy. Mm-hmm. When you started this venture, you know, when, when you are playing your vines in 2002, what is your take on legacy then, mm-hmm. and then your take on legacy now?
1: Um, it's, um, it's, I mean, my, my take then was that I wanted to have my children carry on. You know, I mean, all parents, I think, want their children, especially something like a vineyard and a winery. Um, we want to continue and make that into a family tradition, right? Um, you know, over time, reality comes in and, um, you know, I have, um, I have my oldest daughter who works for me full time and is certainly capable. And I have one of my three son-in-laws who works for me full time. Um, my wife is the office manager. I'm the vineyard manager and winemaker. So, um, you know, it's a family operation today and, um, you know, um, we're going to see how it goes, um, over the next several years <laughs> and see if somebody really steps up and, uh, takes over the helm. Right. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic that, uh, between, um, my full-time family employees that they will, <laughs> right. but, uh, you know, only time will tell, um, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm the one that's the most passionate about it today, but they have gained passion over the years and they understand it, you know, what it takes now. So that's the only hesitation is seeing how much work it is and what it really takes, you know, to, to pull it off if you really want to keep that model. So I'm still, I'm still, like I said, optimistic that, that we will pass it on. That's certainly still my goal. That's, that's awesome. It's
0: to be able to have, that to pass it along for yeah. generations. I mean, that's just, it's, it comes from a special place in your heart and it yeah. just means so much more. It's irreplaceable. It is. Yeah, It very much is. Yeah. The, uh, the Oregon wine community.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: always try to bring out a story or two, mm-hmm. you know, of s- something that stood out to you that somebody else in the wine community kind of like did for you or that you've done for them. Do you have any any stories that just off the top of your head?
1: Well, I mean, the Oregon wine community is pretty tight-knit. I mean, right. it's like family, you know. I mean, it's as close to family without being family, I think, for an industry that you're going to find. Um, and we all, I mean, obviously it's grown a lot, you know. But 20 years ago, we pretty much knew everyone. And today, we still know most everyone. And we still... Um, At least pre-COVID and now post-COVID, we still get together on a fairly regular basis, you know. Um, And hopefully that's going to come back the way that it was in the past now that we're getting over the virus. So um, there are, you know, many, many examples. I mean, part of what we do as a community is we give back to our community. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just so many <laughs> examples of that you know right. to the to the laborers you know to the farm workers you know with with uh, ahi Avoy and um you know the the different programs that have been going on forever you know where we're providing health care and housing right. you know um which is a benefit to us too to take care of the workers obviously but but it's also a benefit to them and then you know, sponsoring OMSI and Portland Opera and Oregon Ballet and the cultural aspects to me is, you know, a way it's one of my buttons that, you know, I like to push, you know, and it's a way to really give back to the community as a whole. But then all the little things, all those school wine auctions and um, community centers and I mean, it literally goes on year round, you know, um, where we're where we're constantly giving back to each other. And then as far as each other, I mean, on Ribbon Ridge, we're all neighbors. We all um, pull together and we would give each other's shirt off our back um, Mm. during the growing season. I've had times when my sprayer has broke down and it's going to rain the following day and I'm only halfway done with my spray and I really have to finish it that day And I've called my neighbor and no matter what he's doing, he drops everything, he brings his sprayer over and I get to finish my job. Or at harvest, someone calls me and they need, you know, they need some more picking bins or they need, um, they need a tank, you know, because that's always an issue is capacity in a winery, you know. And, um, and that always is, it's like, yeah, I'll be there, you know, in 30 minutes or whatever, you know, it's always an instant yes um, and that is really special. Um, and then once the wine gets bottled, it's every man for himself. <laughs> you know? But up to that right. point, right. you know, we are we have each other's back, and um, and we, you know, we get a good intrinsic, you know, benefit from helping our neighbors. You know, it feels good to reach out to the community and to help people. You know, I mean, it's one of the best feelings that you can get in life i think it, it is you know so we all benefit from it you know yeah. we all realize that yeah and you know maybe it's, it's part of
0: maybe this kind of the spirit of organ as well i remember you telling me a story i think it was uh, harvest 2020 mm-hmm. and uh like like your axle went out on your truck or something <laughs> right and then a stranger was driving up ribbon ridge <clears throat> had a big old flatbed yeah. And he was like, Hey, you, you know, and he just helped you out and you put on, you know, he you
1: Yeah. Know. Um, yeah. It literally was, uh, one of my neighbors that I had not met. Well, it, it was an employee of one of my neighbors right. who I, I met the neighbor. But I had not met the employee and, um, my, um, My truck, my 1993 Dodge Farm pickup truck that I used to haul my grapes with my little trailer the mile (laughs) and a half up the road to get to the winery from the vineyard um, had a leak. And that leak um, caused the... It was transmission fluid. And it all leaked out as I was pulling out with a full load. And I still had several loads that I needed to come back and run up. And um, it just died. So... Um, I jumped in my other um, vehicle and uh, drove up to the winery and let everyone know hey, I got to find a trailer. So, you know, everybody take a break. I'll be back in a little while. And as I came out of the winery, I noticed this um, three ton, or sorry, th- like Ford 350 hauling this giant, you know, trailer and it was empty. Right. And it looked like they had just unloaded it. Oh, my goodness. And it was right there. And I drove up, I introduced myself to the guy, and I said, Hey, I'm really in a bind. Is there any way I could get you to help me? Because I really didn't know what I was going to do. Um, And so um, he immediately said, Well, let me call my employer, make sure it's okay. He did. And she knew me, and I knew that she would say it's fine. She said, Yes, right. absolutely go ahead. I said, Just send me the bill at the end, you know. And, um, and so we were able to get everything in one load because this was a massive <laughs> trailer. Instead right. of me going back in three loads, so we actually ended up getting the fruit to the winery quicker than I would have been able to do had my truck not died. And um, and she never sent me a bill.
0: Right, and I believe like you, you gave know? the the, the yeah. employee like a big old bottle of, like a Magnum. Yeah, yeah,
1: gave right. him a Magnum to enjoy you know yeah. that evening, and uh, told him come out anytime. And yeah. Um, yeah, but it was you know it's just one of those. Many many stories that and you know when things happen, you know somebody has your back. Yeah, and it's amazing. It really is. It really is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we don't just talk the talk, you know. No. We walk the walk, and I mean, think about it. They were in the middle of their own harvest. Right. You know, you can't get a more stressful time. You no, know, no, for one, <laughs> no. the harvest. No, you, you can't. know, or a busier time. Right. And they you know, and they had had a I'm sure a very long day, because this was at the end of the day, it was twilight right and uh, and he came down and uh, you know I, I loaded it up, and um, he waited over all the time to load everything up and to haul it up and to unload it, you know right. so it, it, it was time. it was a couple hours at least, right yeah, wow,
0: yeah. would you consider wine art?: Absolutely,
1: okay. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the winemaker, you know, is going to have an immense effect on the finished product. Um, you know, the idea is to start with good fruit. If, usually if you like the fruit, then you're going to like the wine. Right. But, I mean, there are so many decisions that you have to make along the way um, that are going to impact. I mean, right from the beginning of farming that growing season to when you actually pick the fruit because that's going to fix the fruit, you know, so that's part of the winemaking is those decisions and then getting in the winery and everything that you need to do, um, in order to see that, um, wine all the way through the process, you know, and bad things can happen anywhere along the way. So, you know, you really have to, you really have to have, um, you know, you have to have the basics, but you have to, you have to have the experience and the know-how to be able to react, um, instantly you know, um, whenever, whenever anything comes up and know in, you know, varying circumstances, what is the right decision that you're not going to see the effect of for maybe two years.
0: That's hard. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so hard. Right. Yeah. I have some rapid fire
0: questions for you. All right. Uh, who is your favorite, favorite artist to listen to during harvest?
1: Uh well, you know, I was born in 1955. I grew up in the sixties and learned about music from my older uh, siblings, and um, that was right when the Beatles and the whole British pop invasion, you know, came. Right. And so, you know, we were listening to Chubby Checkers and Fast Domino and everything. And then the Beatles, you know, Chuck Berry, right. Little Richard. I mean, right. And a lot of the Motown stuff, you know, in the early years. And then the Beatles came and kind of changed everything. Um, and so. I'm a big fan of the Beatles, but also, you know, soft rock from that 60s, 70s era. I mean, that's what I really like. I mean, right. I like almost any music, you know. Right. Um, I like classic country. I like jazz a lot. Right. You know, classic jazz, modern jazz, you name it. I mean, I I really dig music, you know. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my favorite is definitely soft rock. Nice. Rock from the 60s and 70s. Yeah.
0: No, it's, it's, it's that era of time in music is just... It's phenomenal. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite indulgent food?
1: Uh, <laughs> red meat. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for indulging, yeah. I mean, right. you know, um, I, I'm not a huge dessert person. I like ice cream. That's my one failing. Um, and I, And I love... You know, we're very blessed to have the small farms out here and um, be able to get fresh meat and produce and things like that. Right. So just basic, really good ingredients to make a really good meal. But we get carried away. We'll get some live Maine lobster and some steaks from the local farms and, so, and do our, our own version of surf and turf out here. We also get a lot of, uh, you know, salmon uh, from our friends that right. fish and stuff. And so we eat a lot of a little northwest salmon and drink a lot of Oregon Pinot with it. That sounds awful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> if you could choose a superpower, what would it be? Wow. Um, I guess um, maybe being able to see into the future. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, your harvest notes, are they digital or handwritten? They're handwritten. Okay.
0: Uh, favorite superhero?
1: Uh, Superman. Okay. And what's the last book that you read? The last book I read was, um, that's a good question. It was, it's not the last book I read, but it's the one that comes to mind right now, which was the uh, trilogy around Catching Fire because my, my daughter and I, um, trade books. Oh, and that nice. was one she picked. Okay. So I read that, but I mostly read, um, research. Understandably. That's Understandably. where I, I spend a lot of my time. <laughs> All right. Well, should I, uh, reveal the wine? Uh, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, uh... So, you said earlier that it was a little bit of an older wine. You said about...
1: A five or six years, maybe, on the bottle. Yeah.
0: So, it's a 2016 Nicholas J.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was <laughs> that, that part was pretty evident. Yeah. yeah. It's got a little bit of Brett, which was throwing me off. Um, because it masks a lot of the fruit characteristics. You get that spicy characteristic, you know, or right. some people think it's earthy, right? you know, but it masks a lot of the variety characteristics because you're getting all that spice on the palate. And so it was, I was having a hard time. I mean, I know there's some cherry there um, underneath that, right. but I was having a hard time really getting uh, underneath that to get to the actual fruit. And it was making me wonder, wow, this could even maybe be a Grenache, you know. Um, but I was pretty sure it was a Pinot. But I was also thinking in my mind, if it's anything else, it's a Grenache.
0: Interesting. Yeah. No, it was, it, it was an interesting bottle. And um, it's, it's nice to open up a little bit of an older, older Pinot every now and then.
1: Are you pretty familiar with Brett? Uh, ish. Brettanomyces cinerea, right, right, is the scientific name. And Brett for short. And it is a non-saccharomyces yeast strain that it acts as a wine spoilage mechanism. However, so UC Davis produces, you know, the aroma wheel. Maybe you've right. seen that. Right. Well, they produce one for Brett. Okay. They have a Brett wheel. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, and that's relatively new, maybe in the last five or 10 years. And um, they have, there are two types of Brett. There's type three, which is more of a medicinal, kind of sourish, um, they, they say um, horsehair. Okay. Or or chicken shit or you know <laughs> um, you know not pleasant things right, right, right. Um, but um, cat piss stuff like that right right, right. it's like well, I don't know how that tastes but whatever yeah, no, um, but you. then there's Brett Four which is supposedly quote unquote the good kind of Brett that is more the spicy earthy characteristics that we're seeing with this wine okay but yeah if you ever want to learn about Brett UC Davis website they have that I will have to. Yeah, Take a look. It's interesting. But it, it um, you find it a lot in Rhone varieties, the French Rhone varieties. Mm-hmm. It's almost always there, um, especially if it's a five- or six-year-old bottle like this. Right. You're almost always going to get Brett. Um, and so I always try to drink those wines younger to avoid <laughs> the Brett because to me as a winemaker, Brett is a fault. You know, even though right. I could easily drink this wine right. and enjoy it, um with the right piece of meat or something, um, that's fine, but it's always gonna be in the back of my mind, it's going to have that that, that fault. fault. Right. Yeah. That's
0: yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well that's, that's all the questions that I have. I really appreciate your time.
0: <laughs>